Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I've got three awesome co-hosts with me today. Laura Nash, how are you doing, Laura? I'm doing good. And Nate Heininger. How you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Got a hand cramp and couldn't feel better about it. Oh, man. This was a hand cramper. And Shane. <laughs> Shane Kelly, how are you doing, Shane? Yeah, I'm all right, man. Pretty good. Yeah, and we're talking today about a game that I've been looking forward to talking about on this show for a really, really long time. Yes. Uh, and that is Severed by Drinkbox. So longtime listeners to the short game will know how super into Guacamelee I was, at least, and I think all of us were. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird Absolutely. game, uh, but it just really nailed its mechanics and was super, super fun, had a fun, cool art style, and uh, it was a mix of genres that uh, I previously hadn't really seen mixed, but that worked great together. Yeah. Uh, and so I was really looking forward to their next game, and when I heard that their next game wasn't going to be Guacamelee 2, I was crushed. And then when I heard what it was and saw a trailer for it, I was instantly sold and have been looking forward to this game for a really long time. And that's Severed. Yeah. Um, this is getting harder and harder to kind of quantify because we've gotten so many games under our belt at this point. But Guacamelee, if I were making a, a list of my favorite games that we've done for the show, Guacamelee has got to be in the top 10. I mean, there was nothing wrong with that game. They nailed everything they were trying to do. Uh, so just seeing the name Drinkbox Studios attached to this game also had me very, very excited for it. I think I saw information about this game, saw it was going to be going out in the Vita, and then decided, hey, I'll get excited about this a year later. And true to form, <laughs> it came out for iOS in July, and I'm so excited because to me this feels like an iOS native game, but that happens to be the length of a console-ish game. Yeah, and that's not not by any means like an accident. Like when this game was first announced um, way back in like 2014 or something, like pretty long back, uh, it was announced for mobile platforms and they didn't say at the time what that meant, um, but it seemed pretty obvious that it was a touch native game and so the assumption was it was going to be coming to smartphones. Uh, and then a little bit later, uh, it was announced that it was coming to the PlayStation Vita as a PlayStation Vita exclusive. And, uh, you know, first of all, if you're not familiar, the PlayStation Vita is a console from Sony <laughs> that is a touchscreen. It's the successor to the PSP. It's been out for many years now, and it is in its declining years. I'm a big, big Reagan fan of owns Vita. two of them. I do. Actually, three <laughs> if you count the PlayStation TV, which runs I the same software. I do have three Vitas. I just really, like, really why? like the Vita. Yeah, it's the uh, it's this it's the successor to the PSP. Like the cassette deck is the is the successor to the vinyl record. <laughs> <laughs> They're both dead as dead. Anyway, the Vita is a, a still a platform with a passionate fan base. Some people really like it, um, and uh, I was really excited to hear. So, Guacamelee came out first on uh, on PlayStation Vita, um, and so it was kind of neat to see that Drinkbox was continuing su to support the platform. But it seemed really, really weird to do a Vita exclusive game in uh, well, at the time I guess it was expected for 2015, and. I mean, even weirder in 2016, when it came out as a Vita exclusive, there was a kind of an understanding, I think, that that wasn't going to be a long-term thing. Drinkbox has always ported to everything. Yeah, I mean, before they before they released it, um, when they were kind of hyping the game with some pre-release trailers and things like that, uh, they were hinting that this game could come to basically every platform under the sun. Uh, they talked about, uh, in an article with Destructoid, they, they talked about it coming to PlayStation Move, to <laughs> Connect, and to uh, what eventually became PSVR, which I think would be pretty awesome. If oh my did god, that. this would be so but exhausting on the Connect, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it I mean, really those, those kinds of slashy like movements would definitely have had to have been toned down, or my arms would have had to have been toned up. Well, we actually <laughs> haven't said anything about this game and what it. We've talked about its history. Yeah, but, uh, uh, so, so yeah, we've slashing. talked a lot about the. Uh, <laughs> there is slashing involved. What sort of slashing, Laura? Severing slashes. <laughs> Lots severing. of severing swiping. So, Severed, you're playing this girl named Sasha, and she's having a terrible day. Terrible day. <laughs> Just a terrible day. Um, we're, we're all laughing, but basically her whole family's... Uh, 
kidnapped, she's lost an arm, and uh, but someone does give her a sweet sword, and it's like, go out and take your revenge. So what you do is you just swipe your finger across the screen, and snicker snack, you defeat all your enemies. And what do you do with your enemies once you defeat them? You cut off their limbs. Payback's a bitch. Can I say that on the podcast? I'm not sure. <laughs> yes, you can. And it it has that sort of cool. Um, combination of uh, we'll talk about the world of the game the art style of the game which is really super cool but just that core idea this is a game where you're playing a one-armed girl whose you know whose arm has been cut off and you're cutting off the arms of uh, the monsters that are uh, responsible or at least getting in your way of in the way of your revenge and saving your family um, is a really really kind of cool combination of mechanic and uh, and sort of theme and plot and the mechanic is that, like, this is a swiping-based game. This is a touchscreen-based game. And so she only has one arm, and you're only touching with one finger. And it feels very sort of... The the mechanic feels like it really marries itself to its... Um, Ludo-narrative consonants. Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, something that I saw that I just thought was really cool was... Uh, Somebody, uh, I think it was a fan. I don't think it was actually something that they sold, but a fan had made some uh, styluses that you could play the game with that were shaped like the sword. I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense because in, se- in essence, you know, you're playing as this one-armed girl who just has this sword, and your single finger is just very clearly representing your sword swipes. Um, it just works in a way that even something like uh, Infinity Blade didn't quite, because although this has a lot in common with the combat in Infinity Blade, um, it was just a little more abstracted here. It's very specific. You swipe and you cut off a limb. Yeah, and there's there's a little bit of a like finger dexterity to it. There's um, short swipes do smaller damage, but you can generally do faster. Uh, you know, more of them. Long swipes do more damage. Uh, there's like charge swipes. There's also you have to be very directional. Uh, I know we're going to talk about some of the monsters in a little bit, but uh, it's not just like crazy. You know, here's a bad guy. Just swipe your finger as fast as you can to kill it. It depends on the type of bad guy, the type of move set they have, what part of them is available. So sometimes you're doing tiny little quick flicks. Sometimes you're just you know swiping as fast as you can. Sometimes you have you can only swipe from right. You can only swipe from left, and all of this. When it, if I was listening to this, I would say that does not sound very interesting to me because I've generally not really cared about like finger dexterity swiping games on iPhone or whatever, like Fruit Ninja or whatever. But they pull it off expertly. Yeah, I think what tw- the twist that they do on that that worked well for me is that it adds kind of a time management element to it. And, you know, those are two game styles that I don't always like, but having them together has sort of a an effect of making you feel like you're kind of artfully dancing between enemies um landing the hits just right when you you know and and blocking lots of incoming damage and I really thought that worked. I want to do kind of a deep dive on the specific mechanics of this because I think that's really what's most interesting about it. But yeah, before we do, yeah. we should probably spend just a quick second talking a bit more about the art style and the world of the game because sure, that's I- what really strikes you right off the bat. If you watch the trailer for this game, and I completely recommend checking out the trailer, the trailer is like it's some stirring animation. Like it's really cool. Uh, you immediately get drawn into this this world, I guess. I was immediately kind of put in mind of the Persephone abduction myth. You yes. Know? The, the um, descent she, into hell, yeah. Exactly. So she's she's been pulled down into the underworld and you know so she's she's trying to find her way back out and she's uh, you know it was even even more kind of driven home for me when like one of the first things you do is like eat some fruit, you know, and you're eating fruit to restore health. Or at least, you know, I think, you know, when you're lucky, it's fruit. Yeah, but everything (laughs) is all neon and it's not the traditional hellish everything's red. Everything is that uh, beautiful suite of pink and hot neon that we've come to love from our last, what seems like, 30 games. (laughs) 
Yeah, the official flag of indie game, the kind of blue and gold. I feel like this is sort of the ultimate expression of the Drinkbox aesthetic. Drinkbox has a very specific aesthetic. If you go back to their earliest games, things like um, uh, the couple of Mutant Blob games they made, they do these very beautiful 2D games that have... Uh, a sort of a, a very modern, clean lines kind of look and a cool color scheme. And that got even more dramatic. The color schemes got even more elaborate and interesting uh, and sort of uh, specifically influenced by Mexican culture and uh, aesthetics uh, when you look at guacamole. Uh, and this takes that even further. It doesn't seem like it has a specific tie to any one particular culture like guacamole did. It has a sort of an a sort of an art style and look of its own. It looks a, quite a bit like guacamole, but more so, more color, m- more detail, uh, and just these sort of creepy designs to the enemies that look like they're rooted in some sort of mythology that's unique to the game. Yeah, and you're walking through it. Rather than alongside it, you know, with Guacamelee, it's all side scroller. Yes. Uh, with this, it's uh, you know first person. So you are going through the woods, you're going through the uh, castles, through the caves, um, and and you mentioned creepy. Uh, there's so much in this game that it gave me almost like a Rick and Morty sort of feel, where I'm just <laughs> like, oh, this is gross. Like you know, like an example, like the doors. Some of the keyed doors, you know, it's a, it's a, we haven't really hit on like the dungeon crawling aspect of it, but there's a lot of find the key so you can open the door. Yeah. Very sort of Zelda inspired dungeoniness, yeah. but in first person, which usually that sort of dun- dungeon gameplay doesn't really work in first person here. They've managed to make it work. Yeah. And so like the door is like a closed mouth and you have to go and find this like, or, or even worse, some sort of horrible closed toothed sphincter. Yeah, like yeah. orifice. Sphincter's it's, the only word for that. I think that's you the best word You have to get a key that it. looks like a sphincter. <laughs> yeah, and you have to go and find that, and then you just, like, plug it into the hole, and the mouth opens, but its teeth are, like, still kind of lining the door. Kind of and flapping at the edges yeah, in a gross and I'm just way. Like, I don't want to go through that. <laughs> Even when you get the key, you're like, oh, And, like... There's uh, that sort of horror. I mean, right from the very beginning, like seeing the poor, poor Sasha after whatever calamity happened to her house and home, seeing her look into the mirror the first time and seeing her with her bloody missing arm, just the the body horror of that is even though it's sort of this stylized art it's still kind of disturbing it's disturbing but also beautiful the whole style kind of combines this sort of cronenbergian body horror with this almost like aztec ruin aesthetic and just sort of drenches it all in like neon fish tank accessories yeah and i think because of the color scheme I was surprised at what still hit me that was being really disturbing because it still can be gross, but it doesn't have the traditional markers of horror. You don't get like pools of blood, but you get um, birds. Although you do get some blood spray. (laughs) spray. Slashy, slashy. You get plenty of, you know, Fruit Ninja had fruit spray. This has blood spray. Yeah, or like a bad guy that's like a little hardened creature that sprouts fungus. And if the fungus gets too big, you get like spored to death. But it's you can slash away the fungus. Than anything else? Yeah. Yeah. You're just I I, I don't know. It, it just gave me this whole like, ugh. like I was never really scared in this game. Or um, there's definitely some suspenseful moments uh, because of the combat. But it's more like eerie and gross most of the time, and and gross in a like a very unique way. It has a very sort of like through the looking glass kind of feel where like nothing you're clearly stepping into, you know, some kind of bizarre underworld where the rules that Sasha understands don't apply and she's just having to sort of claw her way tooth and nail through this, you know, through this series of dungeons to rescue her family. It's it feels very visceral and that sort of that sort of like going in and cutting parts off of enemies and slapping them onto your armor kind of thing. Really like, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, and to go with uh, kind of what Laura was saying at the beginning, this is a a game where 
the person you're playing is just having a terrible time throughout. This is not a like story of, you know, like I control a superhero and we save the day and we're just like crushing everybody. It's kind of like in the Laura Croft game where just like every turn of the corner is something awful is happening to, to Laura Croft. In this game, it just feels like you are just like fighting your way for survival and there's never really any moments of triumph necessarily just more like survival if i can expand on on that kind of about the tone nate um i one of the things that i think distinguishes this game from the past drink box games is the minimal use of humor every Mm -hmm. previous drink box game has been um very much played for laughs and this game is really designed to disturb in a lot of places. And there are some kind of elements of dark humor, like with a couple of the NPCs that you meet during your quest. Uh, that's like a two-headed bird, for example, that makes some, some makes some jokes. But throughout, you're not you're not um, you're not being um, you're being you're being pushed in in sort of an aesthetic, like grim way that uh, I think is really. Um, I just I just don't see that a lot in uh, any mobile game. I don't see it a lot in uh, games uh, in a lot of indie games in general. I think it, it's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's amazing that they were able to pull that off because, like you said, it's it's very it's definitely not what their studio is kind of known for. You look at Guacamelee, and it is chock full of references to other games, references to, to various pop cultural kind of things, and it all has a sort of a tongue in cheek kind of humor to it. I mean, even the title is is a joke. So yeah, I was really surprised when I saw this game coming out of that studio, and I thought, I wonder if they'll be able to pull off a game with the tone that they're kind of portraying in their trailer here and yeah. it carries it through and yet doesn't manage to like it, it doesn't beat you senseless with it i, I it, sasha's having a really bad time but i had a lot of fun playing it <laughs> yeah and with that you know kind of on that um i love uh mobile games ios games it's where i spend a lot of my gaming time but i also very rarely play a game for more than maybe 15 30 minutes in a session um i have a hard time with the staring at my phone for that long i you know i it's too easy to get distracted i close the game out i do something else uh this is by far the most engrossed i've ever been into uh an ios game and the longest i've sat and played a single game without breaking uh, i played this game for like four hours straight and i i don't even generally do that with games on console or computer like I was so deep in this game um, on one day. I had to, you know, I was joking about my hand being cramped. Well, it's because I'm holding my, like, claw grip in my iPhone with one hand and, you know, have my other hands uh, uh, for swiping. And then also I had it plugged in because you can't iOS (laughs) game for that long, you know. So, like, I'm just, like, locked into this game. And I think it is kind of that the tone and the uh, really, really interesting combat that, like, locked me in more uh, unlike any other ios game had locked me in before let's talk about the specifics of that combat for a bit um because it is like i've played other games that had what on the surface of it sound like the exact same uh same mechanics you know you you look back at uh, the infinity blade games which are popular and a lot of people really like those games but for some reason they never quite clicked for me i've never completed one they're both games where you're swiping to swipe with a sword what about this game made it so much more engaged, or at least for me anyway, I found it way more engaging. What did, what what worked about the combat? For maybe we should start by just sort of describing some of the details of the combat. I think we've kind of touched on them, but um, your your uh, as you progress through your dungeon, um, the dungeon is kind of divided up into rooms. At any time, you might enter a room where there are monsters. Uh, although you don't always know that the monsters are there beforehand. And when the monsters attack, uh, you enter a sort of a combat mode where the monsters might be surrounding you on all sides, up to eight sides. And uh, you have to swipe between the monsters uh, or tap between the monsters. All of the monsters have timers 
and those timers are kind of counting down to their next attack. And depending on the type of monster, uh, that timer might be going very quickly, or it might be going very slowly, it might have uh, small weak attacks or very strong attacks, and you have to manage your time and sort of switch between the monsters to you know keep plates spinning and attacking monsters uh, you know in a variety of different ways. Yeah, and every monster's attack can be parried one way or another. Um, there's kind of two, I would say, types of um, mon- two types of attacks that monsters have. They're either charging up an attack, and you can basically kind of like deflate the charge by attacking them, or they're going to attack no matter what, and you have to be there in time to stop, basically block the attack. So you're flipping back and forth, managing these timers. Fortunately, there's only, I would say there's maybe like eight different types of bad guys. Now there's some, there's a lot of variety in there, but like you learn, okay, this guy, um, the mushroom guy I was talking about, Mm -hmm. um, he, he's, he's blocked. It's only exposed point is this eye in the middle, but it's normally shut. And its timer is that this fungus is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's marked by not only the fungus getting bigger, obviously, but if you're not actually looking at him, there's a uh, little icon on the bottom of your map or of your screen that has like a, a yellow circle that's getting bigger, getting more and more full. And once it reaches the top, it starts blinking red. With this guy, if you can get over to him and you can slash off the fungus it reduces the yellow timer. So conceivably, he would never attack if you can just make sure that before he attacks, you go over and slash off this fungus. So it's a timer that's relatively easy to manage, and those guys are generally the kind of... You see a lot of them, and they're generally easy to handle. Um, But there's other guys... Now add in the octopus monkey face sphere. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly, who is going to attack no matter what, Um, It's just on its own timer, and it will sit there blocking, either blocking, like, its left side, so you can only swipe from the right, or blocking its whole body, so you can't swipe at all. And then, all of a sudden, real quick, the yellow timer will fill up really fast, and then it'll come, it'll swipe at you from any of its, like, eight arms, and that arm will briefly be red. And if you can swipe at the right angle that the arm would be attacking down at, so it's not just, like hit the arm, it's actually kind of like reverse yeah, you swipe have to counter what it's going to do. The, yeah. the attack, yeah. You can block that. And if you block it, then it usually leaves them open. So if you're imagining a combat between those two, what you're probably doing, or at least what I'm generally doing, is focusing on the eight-arm guy, keeping an eye on the timer of the fungus, um, swiping the eight-arm guy when I can, blocking his attacks when I can, trying to kill him, and then just have the fungus guy who is a lot easier to manage on its own because it it can it will never attack if you're just looking at it. But its attack um, does an enormous amount of damage if you let it happen. So you have to keep fast monitoring those uh, monitoring those things. And um, on top of that, you know, once you've uh, as you're fighting these guys, uh, you're you know getting your little hits in on them, and as you do that, you're building up a focus meter. And the focus meter is just sort of a a measure of how much damage you're doing to them versus how much damage they're doing to you if you're getting hit a lot it's knocking out your focus meter um also uh it's uh marking like combos so if you're hitting clean and not hitting uh so i was talking about like the eight arm guy blocking if you're hitting it only on the uh spots that aren't blocking then your focus meter is going much higher uh faster but if you hit something that's like a block then it stops the progression and you have to kind of rebuild the momentum right so ultimately your focus meter is kind of a judge of how well you're doing in terms of precision um and if your focus meter is at the maximum and you kill an enemy then it enters sever mode which means that you can then cut off you get only about two seconds it's very quick and you have to very quickly do some very precise swipes to cut pieces off of the enemy. So, for example, that eight-armed monkey guy, uh, he jumps up in the air, and as he's dying, he extends his arms, and you have just a fraction of a, of a moment to cut off as many arms as you can while he's in the process of disappearing. And those arms drop to the ground. You can pick them up at the end of the of the battle. Um, and each 
type of enemy drops a different type of part. So your fungus guy drops his eyeball if you manage to sever it. Uh, the, the monkey guy drops his arms. And there's like six or eight different types of parts, wings and tentacles and so on that different animals have. Lower skeleton jaws. Oh, yeah, that's gross. <laughs> and um, th- that's essentially your loot. There's other things you might collect throughout the game. So there's upgrades to your health and upgrades to your mana that you use for your uh, for your spells, which we haven't talked about yet. Um, but ultimately, you're collecting these bits and pieces, which are kind of the currency that you use to buy upgrades to your armor. Yeah, it lets you kind of specialize. Um, it's it's really cool. It's just another depth to this game that I wasn't expecting um, because the upgrades are kind of tied to how well you do. Um, so I think that there are people who might take longer to, you know, if, you, if you're not very – if it takes you a while to get adept to the uh, combat style, which I think – it's not particularly really difficult, but it does take some practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you might progress slower than others, or you might progress really fast. You're you're very much directly rewarded for how well you do in the combat. And the upgrades will be um, – they don't give you new talents necessarily or new skills, but they make your, your uh, existing skills better. Uh, and you can specialize where it's like long slashes do 5% more damage. Long slashes do 10% more damage. Um, you don't have to buy that one if you're not doing a lot of long slashes. Um, but you can if that's what you kind of want to specialize in. Or uh, there's a lot of defensive ones. Eventually, you kind of get them all. But the middle first half of the game, you really are kind of defining around how you play your character. Yeah. And I really like that you can also build a power-up system that based on how you play like if i was on a plane for playing most of this game so i knew that long slashes were going to be tough because i kept hitting my fiance <laughs> while he was trying to sleep oh I'm man sure he loved it um specking think, for elbow room oh yeah and and so i kind of wanted to upgrade my short slashes first because i knew that's where i was going to be for the next three hours It's funny, I did the exact opposite for a similar reason, because I was trying to play this game in bed, and the problem was that, you know, for for the first part of this game, my strategy was mostly lots of little, quick, short slashes, basically scribbling back and forth on the screen. Um, But the problem was that when I would do that, I was shaking the bed so much that it kept my wife awake. And I was trying to play. So I would I would literally had to like get out of bed. It was like late at night. I really should have been sleeping, but I got out of bed to play this game. And later I went and specced for long slashes so that I could carefully do <laughs> fewer long slashes without shaking things around. That's but the funny. real move is really fast long slashes. And that's <laughs> yes. what yes. And if you're a real pro. Like, <laughs> and I, I would I had the same thing like playing a bit. I'm like, the whole bed is shaking. I was playing on the couch and like the whole couch is shaking because I'm just like because it's like kind of moments of panic because you kind of have to um, uh, like set up where you could really slash like that. Most monsters yeah. don't just let you go crazy on them. Uh, you have to kind of get them in that spot, like uh, you know, wear down their we- uh, their defenses or whatever, where they'll open up, and then you just go you know buck wild on them. And I'm just like my whole my whole body is shaking. Uh, my my audio probably is all over the place right now because I'm shaking as I'm trying to describe this. Uh, <laughs> And that's when it's also like most satisfying when yeah. you're just tearing them apart. And it, 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 the the combat in this game is so fun, and it's just like feeling so free to just swipe like crazy on it. It's super frenetic and really exciting. And uh, you know, if you're not in a place where your elbows are gonna hit a significant other, go to going to town is so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> and it's um, it's often. I died a lot in this game. Yeah, whole lot. And, uh, like, yeah, a ton. A lot of it is learning, uh, you know, you kind of figure out what sequence, because it's almost always multi-combat, uh, multi-creature combat. They do a good job where if it's, like, a new creature, you'll usually play it uh, one-on-one just to learn its moves. And then, like, from that moment on, you're dealing with, like, two or three of them or, like, uh, you know, six of those mushroom guys and one of the other guy. uh You know, it's constant juggling. Every fight is a slightly different combination. Every fight feels like it's got some new quirk that means you have to adjust your tactics a little bit. I I agree. I I think that the the fight design and the dungeon design both, like, had a really nice build to them. Like, there was was a moment where I had sort of been climbing this tower and, you know, 
dungeon crawls in general, I think it's easy to get lost, especially when you're you know navigating a map that's just a thousand identical squares. Um, but you know, I, I felt very well kind of um, you know, able to make my way up to the top of this dungeon. Um, I'd finished something, and then it dropped me into um, just a place where I, I was surrounded by like a thousand of those little mushroom guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, that was, it was a, such a cool moment because it's you like... You find eight of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was like it was like a, a moment where it's like, oh, here's the, the monster that you thought you had uh, figured out how to deal with. How can you deal with, uh, like, way more of them than you've ever seen uh, of any monster in one place at, in one time? The dungeon exploration in this game is full of cool little moments like that. Like, I, I think... The combat in the game was cool. I really, really enjoyed it, and I think it's probably the the biggest strength of the game. But the biggest surprise of the game for me was how much fun the the dungeon exploration uh, sort of angle of the game was. Um, so to kind of explain, this is a this is a dungeon crawl in the uh, in the sort of old computer RPG sense. This is a first person dungeon crawl. So every uh, every dungeon or every area is divided up into little rooms that are connected by doors. Uh, you can get a 360 view, a first-person 360 view of each of the rooms. And some of them are really colorful and interesting. They have little interesting decor and whatnot. But for the most part, each area has a kind of a look. And most of the rooms look pretty similar to one another, depending on their layout. Um, and you're just tapping to move or in the the PlayStation Vita version using the D-pad to move around uh, these dungeons. And I've played other games that kind of have that kind of dungeon crawl and they never really 100% worked for me. Um, A a big example would be... um, uh, Oh, geez, Shane, what's that one we were talking about earlier? The the very much more realistic looking one on iOS? Mm. Grimrock. Grimrock, Legend of Grimrock. Yeah. Yeah. That's a much more complex game where you've got a full party of uh kind of dungeoneers to manage and it's much more of a uh dungeons and dragons inspired kind of er early dungeon crawl video game uh kind of rebuilt this is i think much more stripped down and and nativized to kind of a, a touch ui sort of from the ground up and it's much much better fit this game has some puzzle elements there are on the lighter side, uh, it's not um, as if you have 13 different things in your bag that you can shoot arrows at or slide down. But like Zelda, there tend to be a lot of hints at what you should use. If you, I've never worried about if I secretly had the thing in my bag the whole time or in my basket of tricks. I looked at something and knew whether or not I could figure it out somewhere in this dungeon or find it later. It's really good at hinting that way. And that's something I love in a dungeon crawler because I get lost very easily. And I really heavily rely on maps that tell me where I've been. So I, something I really appreciated is this map, like Zelda, tells you kind of extra indicators. If there's something you need to flip and you find a switch, it'll tell you where that switch is. So you can go back to it. And you don't spend 20 minutes trying to find where your switch is. It's actually more indicators than Zelda, um, which is something, especially in a game like this, that wants you to keep going back and revisiting parts of the dungeon as you get more power-ups. I loved that aspect because my poor navigation-deficient self could really quickly zoom through a level and find what I needed to do to, to unlock the next step. Yeah, uh, coming from Hyperlight Drifter, a game we did very recently, <laughs> I found this map to be a uh, a breath of fresh air. It was a godsend. Helped, <laughs> yes, yes, it helped me immensely. Um, I, almost to a fault, because I often found myself, uh, when I'm traversing from one area to another, I, I would actually just be kind of looking at the little mini-map, and just hitting forward, 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 left, right, left, right, instead of actually like kind of looking at the, uh, you know, the world around me. Um, That's true. And if anything, like that, that is a bit of a fault in the game. It, it's uh, its map is so detailed, and its secrets, mostly some of them are very well hidden, but most of its secrets, quote unquote, are pretty well signposted. That you know, y- you don't really get that. I have to hunt through this dungeon for every inch of clue that I can find kind of feeling that you do in some games like this. 
I liked that though. I thought that the the combat was good enough that um and and the world interesting enough that I didn't need the added complexity of where am I at yeah. all times because there's a lot of floors um there's a lot of locked doors a lot of uh you know vent gates that you're opening mm-hmm. um it's all relatively linear but if i didn't have the map um especially cuz it is all just like first person room to room to room i think that i would uh get frustrated or get lost and 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 spend time doing the things that aren't fun in games like that uh whereas this game let me just do the fun things solve puzzles yeah. And fight monsters. Speaking of really fun things that this does with hinting, the sound design when you got to some levels of when you're getting closer or further away to things also helped me navigate and helped me figure out puzzle design. And I loved just the subtlety of things getting spookier and spookier as I creep down a hallway or um, the notes is I'm slowly dying, which you will do quite a bit. If you're, um, there is a casual mode, but... Uh, I was playing on normal because I was reviewing, but I've I probably would recommend this to people who don't play games very often to do casual mode. Dying is not a huge penalty, though. Yeah, that's something I really liked about it. That, uh, you know, when you die in this game, and you will probably die a lot, you almost always reset just before the fight that you died in and you can jump right back into it and give it another try and with a lot of the harder fights i would sometimes have to do that eight or ten times um but that felt fun because every time i felt like i was finding something out about how these enemies behaved or how best to approach them so it it is a really forgiving game for a game of this type it doesn't you know it, it feels a little bit hardcore in some ways but also really forgiving and and uh, and fair yeah, I think that also helps with the fact that, you know, on on mobile, you're going to be putting it away, sometimes at a moment's notice, often in the middle of the fight, and you're not being penalized and sent back to the start of the dungeon or to the entrance to the level or anything like that. You're usually just going back to, you know, all the enemies are reset, but you're right there. Yeah. Yeah. The challenge is in the fight, not how you got there. Um or anything like that. And, and one of the things I love, too, is that once you've cleared a fight, it's cleared. If you come back to that dungeon uh, for whatever reason, you know, much later in the game, that room is clear. Um, you don't have to do it again. Because a lot of these fights are, like, memorizing the attack pattern. You know, some of the stuff we talked about in Hyperlight Drifter, actually, uh, to bring that back, you're memorizing kind of like the attack pattern pattern of the creatures you're memorizing you know you're, you're developing your attack strategy okay i'm going to do this one first and then i'm going to swipe over here block it swipe over here or at least that's how i handled it kind of like developing a game plan and and then it's about executing it and once you execute it you've won feels great you sever the body collect the little parts eat up their hearts and then uh you know move on and speaking of coming back like this game and also kind of playing off of its, you know, the, the game's fairness and, and so on. It, it, um, the few times when I did get really stuck in this game, uh, and to, I should be honest, like I bought this game on, on launch day when it came out on the Vita and it took me a while to get around to covering it on the show for two reasons. One, I'm the only one who had a Vita. So we were kind of waiting on the, uh, the iOS version, but the other was that I got pretty stuck not too far into the game. So I completed the first dungeon, and in the second dungeon, not too far in, I got really stuck on a particular fight. And I tried that fight probably dozens of times. And so I kind of put the game away for a while. And when I came back to it, uh, it occurred to me, why, I mean, I got, I was still stuck on the fight, couldn't get past it. And so it occurred to me, why haven't I gone back and looked for more secrets? This game's uh, dungeons are absolutely chock full of secrets. As you play through the game, you unlock new spells and abilities, which will help you find those secrets or unlock doors that might have been closed to you before. And so I was really stuck, but 30 minutes of backtracking through uh, a dungeon I had cleared already uh, gave me enough extra stuff, upgrades to my heart and brain, the mana thing, and uh, other other bits to tack onto my armor, that I was able to just like completely upgrade uh, Sasha's stuff and come back, and then that, that fight was like a one and done. Um, so if you get stuck in this game, remember, you can always backtrack and try exploring for more secrets, upgrading your stuff, and then come back and just steamroll those things that are bothering you. In a way, 
it's like a Metroidvania. One of the only other connections <laughs> I would say it has to uh, Guacamole. Because, uh, I mean, it, like we were talking about, it like signposts. There are doors in the very first dungeon that you can only unlock with a spell that you get in the last dungeon. Yeah. It, those sorts of secrets are very signposted. There's also much more uh, tricky to find secrets that feel very rewarding and give you big payoffs. But some of those basic secrets are very much there to just remind you, hey, go back to that dungeon you saw before. You remember that symbol you saw on the wall? It's the same symbol that matches up with this new spell you just learned. Go back and try that there. That kind of thing. And uh, to drive the Zelda connection home, there are plentiful pots for you to break. Oh, and yes. It is <laughs> oh, yes. It is satisfying every Except time. instead of hearts inside, they have all manner of other organs uh, and giblets. Yeah. Because <laughs> who uh, doesn't want to smash a pot and get some giblets? And it feels great. The Smashing is pots great. is never not fun in video games. Yeah. Every video game, like Mass Effect ought to have clay pots in the hallways so that you can <laughs> smash. Everything ought to have clay pots around. Have you actually ever smashed a clay pot in real life? No. On purpose? No. <laughs> Why aren't we doing this? I think they actually have like stores where you can go to break uh, pottery as like a like a thing for entertainment and uh, and uh, stress relief. There's things called rage rooms. Yes, and that's Houston has one. You yeah. can smash printers and oh man, <laughs> old computers and TVs and things. Wow, that's cool. This show is sponsored by the Rage Room. They've depleted all of Houston's um, all of Houston's like thrift stores of their old electronics which i think is is a tragedy man but uh but hey people gotta people gotta let their rage out somehow <laughs> and we do it by swiping 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 swipe away So one thing we didn't mention while we were talking about the art style of the game was that the game has a killer soundtrack. I'm going to be editing some into the into the show as we go. Um, just to quickly drop the name, it's by uh, a group called Yamatanka, uh, featuring Sonic Titan and Pantayo. So there you go. Um, it's it's kind of different than I expected the soundtrack to be like. Uh, there's a few tracks that have this sort of otherworldly kind of feel to them, but a lot of them are sort of driving guitar pieces. So there's a lot of variety, but I don't know. Like, I, what did you guys think of the soundtrack? Didn't really listen to it much. Yeah, played without headphones a lot. Oh, that's a bummer. I played with headphones a lot, and I thought it was great. It adds to the tone. Uh, the sound design and the soundtrack is great. Um, all of the, um, the, the swipe... Effects have a great sound. The in, infuriating when you swipe and hit a shielded, uh, the like chunk, oh. it drove me crazy. Ugh. And like the whole screen shakes, it just made me uh, angry. And I think the sound effect had part, you know, part to do with that. And that is a good thing. I mean, it the you know, I, I thought they nailed it on the sound side. Yeah, sounded really good. Um, so definitely play with headphones if you can. Uh, probably not 100% required. There's absolutely... I, I, I don't think there's anything you're hugely missing if you're not listening to the game, but... It does It does help in combat a little bit because um, if you miss... If maybe you're not looking at one of the yellow bar timers, uh, you will hear... You'll start to learn uh, the, the sounds the things make before they attack. Um, various grunts and things like that. Uh, and you can kind of hear those as well right before they attack. So if you've lost focus on the yellow bars, because there are a lot of things going on at the same time, uh, it can serve as another reminder that you need to uh, move over and block that attack. I don't know if this happened for you guys. The only thing that gave me some trouble sometimes, and this could be totally on me because, you know, it's kind of a skill game uh, to a level, but uh, at least on my iPhone, 
I had some difficulty every once in a while, and it caused some frustration where uh, the icons for the spells are really small um, on the kind of like right side of the screen. So I would try to cast a spell and then end up actually just swiping to the right and moving to another monster, and it would like blow the whole uh, battle because some of these kind of have to execute like perfectly i think that's like one thing to recommend the playstation vita version over the iphone version and that's that um it uses the d-pad for most of the movement so when you're moving around the dungeon for example um you can swipe on the screen to turn left to right but walking forward and backward is on the d-pad and you can turn left to right with the d-pad as well um so like you can look around but most of the movement is the d-pad same thing goes for the battles uh which is very precise you can hit the left or right on the d-pad and instantly turn one enemy to the left or the right um and there's also other ways to do it there's a you know you can tap on the icon at the bottom of the screen representing that enemy and and switch directly to that enemy without having to turn a bunch of times um but uh that kind of like I played a little bit on both devices and and some of the combat and other stuff felt a lot more precise when you had a d-pad that was separate from your on-screen swiping for for combat and there's a possibility that that icon tapping thing that you just described is totally how it works on iPhone and I just never tried it because I didn't expect it to work that way but um, oh yeah that that definitely works on the iPhone as well it's the fastest way to do it (laughs) yeah I was swiping uh every single time to move between creatures so Again, this is could totally be on me, but that's the only time in this whole game where I was like, ah, uh, this is like this feels frustrating rather than as smooth. Um, yeah, it's, like, it's really rare for me to find a game that works in short or long sessions, and I, I wouldn't say that I will be picking up Severed for two minute intervals waiting for a bus, but five. I think you can get through a battle or two, and you know when you're going to run into an enemy. It's not as if, like, a troll's going to pop up out of nowhere. Yeah. And I really liked all of that planning. It felt very good for a mobile game, to be honest. Yeah. This is a really solid sort of... This is probably the last... I wouldn't call this a AAA release. It's an indie game, but it's probably the last uh, serious game targeted at the Vita by a Western developer. And it's also uh, one of the best examples of an indie developer putting out something that feels like a full-fledged packaged, uh, well, not physically packaged, but you get the idea like full-fledged game release on mobile. And the difference in price is kind of surprising, but it kind of, I think, explains why this game is, uh, like, why they started on the Vita, even though that's a platform that's going away, makes me a little sad. Um, You know, they... This is a, a download on the PlayStation Network for $15, $14.99. Um, it's on iOS for the princely sum of $6.99, and it's on sale right now, only um, a month after its release, for $4.99. Um, so, like, you can see order of magnitude difference in in pricing or what they're able to get for this incredibly polished, really full-featured game on these two platforms. It's also, we didn't even mention... Uh, out on the 3DS and the Wii U, both of which are touchscreen platforms that I don't really play a lot of games on these days, but I would definitely play this on iOS given the choice. It's cheaper uh, than any of those other options, and I think it probably isn't right for the 3DS. I just don't think this is really... Like, the the art is too pretty for those small screens. Yeah. I don't know. The To me, that feels the same as the Vita. Well, I, I don't yeah. know. The Vita has like a nice, pretty 720p screen. It's much more okay. on par with the <laughs> iPhone. Like, I really like the screen on the Vita, and this has really pretty art. It actually looks okay. slightly better on the iPhone because of the uh, the higher resolution. Um, but like scaling that down to the 3DS, like those things have like 320 something pixels on the screen. They're really low resolution, and I think you'd be losing okay. a lot of the cool detail. But the Wii U probably is a great platform for it if you prefer that. If you want to play it on another dying platform. <laughs> God, these guys have a really, uh, they really, they really know what they're doing. They're releasing it on, uh, on the iPhone where you can't make any money and on three platforms that nobody has. <laughs> I mean, the 3DS, lots and lots of people have, but this really isn't quite meant for that platform. Um, but yeah, and totally. On that rec- note. <laughs> yeah. On that note, um, I totally recommend this game. Go check it out. Uh, it's not that expensive, particularly on the iPhone. Great game to play on the iPhone if you want a more full-fledged game experience there. Yeah. 
I, I love this game. I, I put a lot of... This is actually a game that, as I was nearing the end, I was sad that I was about to finish it. I went back, and I found more secrets, and I just, like... I wanted to extend my time in the game as much as I could because I enjoyed it so much. And I don't normally do that, uh, especially with the show. You know, we're moving game to game pretty quickly. Um, I, I don't generally seek out the, like, extra stuff in games. But in this one, I... I was really feeling it, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and and speaking of which, just before we started recording, Nate was telling me about some stuff that I missed in the game. Um, so there are some cool secrets. If you get down to that sort of end game, there's some extra boss battles that you can seek out. Um, I'll leave it at that, you know, if you can look it up yourself. But um, I have Very a little jump. more to go back to do. Um, in terms of how long the game took, I spent just over seven hours on it. Do you guys have a time idea? I completed it and i i do think i did a lot more of the kind of side stuff that we were just talking about my final time played uh because it does keep track in the game is a little bit over nine Mm -hmm. um but i think i probably did leave it open a little bit and of course like i said i went through probably more of the game than you um so it's not a total like i could finish this in a couple you know in an evening sort of thing um but it's still short enough um, I mean, I finished it in about five days. Yeah. So this is a, a really nice sort of game in terms of hours played right in our wheelhouse. Under 10 hours, you can probably breeze through it in seven, maybe stretch it to nine or 10 if you want to try to explore every uh, nook and cranny. And I guess that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us here on The Short Game. Uh, we are on the web at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find our contact form. We love to hear from you. We've gotten some really good suggestions recently. I'm playing a game on my iPhone right now, or not this second, but right now, that uh, was suggested by a listener that might be up for our next episode. So uh, let us know what you're playing. Uh, if it's short, we want to hear about it. You can also leave us reviews on iTunes. That's the best way to support the show. There's a link to do that from our website. We have a link in the show notes to do that. We really appreciate those. So if you have a moment and feel like dropping a quick review on us, yeah. On furthermore, iTunes. that may be uh, currently the only way to support the show. <laughs> well, you can support it in your heart, and also tell and your we're friends. We're passing about the it. savings on to you. So put those iTunes reviews. And you can follow the show on Twitter. We're at underscore short game, which is another great way to get in touch with us. Or you can follow me directly on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Shane, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at NateSTL. And Laura Nash, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And thanks again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.